right, let me find my clicker here. All right. Well, we've been dealing with our um, series on the Bible, and boy, it's been going along real good, and uh, we're going to deal with this here. Let me go ahead and get back into our, it's up in um, sound booth under presentation. There it is, the Gentiles, okay? So we talked about the times of the Gentiles. Boy, is this thing a little hot? Seems hot to me, guys. All right, help me out. Okay, times of the Gentiles. And uh, we talked about the Babylonian captivity to the revelation of Jesus Christ, and that's the time frame. We said there's a difference between the, <clears throat> between the two, actually, the times of the Gentiles and the fullness of the Gentiles. And so the fullness of the Gentiles takes place between Pentecost and the rapture of the church. And when that last soul is saved and the church is complete, then that'll be the end of the fullness of the Gentiles. And so there's a distinction, there's a difference there. We talked about the vision that uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw, that Daniel interpreted, and we saw that there was uh, the gold head, men represented Babylon, the silver chest, Medo-Persia, brass, the, uh, or the, it had to do with the abdomen, of, and it represented Greece, iron, the lower torso, which was Rome. And so we kind of took some time to look over all of that, and uh, we recognized that there's going to be a stone cut out of the mountain. And uh, that represented the millennial kingdom of Christ. It's going to destroy and wreck all of the uh, Gentile uh, superpowers, if you will, the nations that will rule the world. And, of course, there are just four of those over the course of time. We know that there was a little bit of a break prior to Jesus Christ returning or coming the first time. And then, of course, we have the church age that kind of stands in between and has a break, uh, creates a break there as well. But there's only literally four world powers from the time of 606 B.C., when Babylon took uh, Israel captive, uh, till the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those are the four world powers. And that's all there is, is those four world powers. And what we're going to find then as we look ahead now and as we continue in the book of Daniel, we're going to realize that uh, he's going to reveal to us uh, uh, this, the times of the Gentiles all over again. Not only in this colossus or this uh, metallic man that was... Uh, uh, seen in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but what we're going to find in chapter 7 now of Daniel is that he's going to now give us another uh, insight into, I guess you would say, uh, more clarity, more detail into these four world powers that are going to rule during the times of the Gentiles. So take your Bible, turn over to Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to go ahead and read that, and we're going to start looking again because it's interesting to note that not only do we see this uh, this metallic man, if you will, uh, giving us insight as to who and a little bit about these uh, world powers, uh, but we're also going to find that there are some beasts that uh, he speaks about and it deals with that will also tell us even more and more detail about these nations as well. So <clears throat> let's go ahead and take a quick look at that. Chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, we're going to go ahead and, well, that didn't come out as big as I'd hoped, but uh, in Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. 
Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse from one another, from another, I should say. So what we're going to find is there's these four beasts now that uh, are going to come up out of the sea of humanity, if you will, and uh, we're going to recognize them as the same four beasts. world powers that were spoken of in this metallic man. And then we're going to get more details now about them. And so the Lord is really giving us some real prophetical insight into these world leaders over the course of these, uh, well, many, many years now that he's going to uh, reveal to us. So uh, here we see over in our little chart, and it's hard to see, but you have the head of gold that represented Babylon. We found that in Daniel chapter 2, and we said uh, we see the dates in which they reigned. And then you have a lion. We're going to recognize a lion now that's going to be revealed in chapter 7 of Daniel. The chest of silver representing Medo-Persia. And of course, uh, we're going to see that there's a bear that's going to be described for us and is going to represent uh, Medo-Persia. And then the brass abdomen or stomach area region represented Greece. And again, there's going to be a leper in Daniel chapter 7 as well, that represents them. And then the iron clay, actually iron, and then iron and clay feet represented Rome. And um, we're going to see, well, just a beast, uh, indescribable beast, that's going to give us some insight into their uh, character and some of the qualities. And so that's what we're going to see here. So let's have a very quick word of prayer, and we'll move along tonight. Father, help us, Lord, to just embrace some of these thoughts, and Lord, to understand them from the Scriptures, be glorified in them. And Lord, as believers, help us to realize, Lord, that you've had a plan all along. Nothing takes you by surprise. We're so grateful, Father, that you are in charge and on the throne. Although you have permitted many things to go on, that, Father, at times we as human beings can't understand Lord, you have a purpose and a plan for all things. May we simply trust you because, Lord, you do care for us more than anyone else. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start off here, first of all, with Babylon. It's going to be revealed to us as a lion. Notice what it says in verse 4. The first was like a lion. It's talking about these great beasts that came from the sea, diverse from another. And now we see in verse 4, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Now again, this first beast here has eagle's wings. And remember, this beast is going to represent a a world power. That world power is Babylon. And uh, you figure the combination of the lion which is the king of the jungle, we used to say, and maybe our king of beasts, whatever you'd like to say. And then it's got these eagle's wings, which really the eagle's kind of like, kind of almost from a bird's perspective, uh, almost seems like the king of birds. And you take those two things together and you correlate them with that that gold head, uh, we're going to see that it typifies basically Babylon and just the eagle-like swiftness that Babylon would uh, fight. I mean, their armies were very swift. They were just, uh, I mean, they swooped in, if you will, and they had major conquests around the world. And 
you then look at this, this idea that the wings were plucked. That's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, okay, so here's this great world power, and they have all this military might. They move with such swiftness, uh, represented in not only being a, a lion, the king of the jungle, but also this eagle's wings, which would mean they're very fast and swift. But now it says these, these wings are plucked. It talks about the plucking of the wings. And that refers to actually their leader, their original leader, Nebuchadnezzar, the king. Um, you look at that, and, and we we're going to note that uh, he spent seven years, basically, uh, out of his mind. And um, he would then be recovered again. And again, in, the, in this particular portion of Scripture, uh, it, 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 it basically implies that he's going to be lifted up again, that he's, he's lifted up from the earth. So his wings, are they're plucked, and then he's lifted up from the earth, and it refers to literally the king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Daniel had warned King Nebuchadnezzar. He had warned him about his pride. He uh, had told him that God had chosen him, that God had placed him in the role and in the position that he had, basically. Nebuchadnezzar, of course, struggled with that, we even today have to remember that God elevates and God promotes those who he chooses. And sometimes they're not the ones we would choose. But Nebuchadnezzar here has been elevated and now he is the king of this first uh, world power. Look in Daniel chapter 4, would you? <clears throat> We're going to see what this particular uh, prophecy is pointing to. We're going to see again that Nebuchadnezzar is going to lose his mind. He is going to go insane, basically, for seven years. But then he's going to be resurrected, if you will, and he's going to rise up and once again take his rightful place. And I think there's something to that as we look over this verse and we see this particular, uh, this particular uh, beast, this line, if you will, being described. Look in uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. <clears throat> and this came upon the king in Nebuchadnezzar, verse 29. And at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the king, uh, kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by might and by my power and for the honor of my majesty? Well, that, that's somewhat of a prideful position. And remember, Daniel's already been talking to him. He's letting him know, I'm telling you, king, if you don't straighten this thing out, if you don't get a handle on this, it's going to be bad news for you. Well, of course, the pride has not been addressed. And in verse 31, the Bible says, while the word was in the king's mouth, <clears throat> while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and they, thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Now again, notice he says here, it's the kingdom's going to depart from him. It's done. You've lost your kingdom, but hold on a second. You're going to be driven from men. You're going to dwell like the beast of the field, and it's going to take place. I mean, look at this. You're going to eat grass as oxen, and he says seven times. He's talking about basically seven years is what we're going to see. Seven years will go on before you finally get the picture. <laughs> and so he says here in verse 33, that same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. Why? God's saying, listen, I put you where you were. Don't think for a minute it was all you. 
it was me. And so here he is, that same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and he did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. Well, see, now we're tying this all back, okay? Again, remember now, think about verse 4 very quickly, and I'll just read it to you. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And it represents Nebuchadnezzar and that great nation of, 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 of uh, Babylon who would be a, a, a world ruler. And it says he, it, that uh, I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. Sounds, sounds like things are happening here. So anyway, he goes on in verse 34. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven that lifted up, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Now, as great and as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar was, his success was ordained of God. He was chosen of the Lord. He was put in place by God. And so many times, you know, we struggle with leadership. There's no doubt it can be hard at times to follow certain leadership. But we do always have to remember that God's still in the midst of all of that, and he has a purpose for it. Now, <clears throat> that, that's something that's hard. You know, uh, I, I'm just going to say this. A lot of times, ladies struggle with their husband's leadership. But they have to always remember one thing very carefully, that God has ordained him as the head of the home. You have to be careful with that. You say, well, he's an idiot. He's stupid. He does dumb things. He doesn't know how to run money. He'll wreck and ruin all of us. He'll destroy everything we've worked for. He'll end up, we'll lose the house. We'll lose the cars. We'll lose everything if he's got any say in it. Don't think women haven't thought that, and I can guarantee you they've said it. But let me tell you something. You do need to be very careful. First of all, number one, you married it. Okay, let's just get that one out of the way real fast. And number two, God ordained that authority. That authority in the home is the authority. Whether you like it or not, it's the way it is. Let, wait a second now. That's true in all of our lives with authority. <clears throat> if there's one thing in America <clears throat> that we despise today more than anything else, it's authority. Unless it's our authority. We don't like anybody else having authority anymore. We have redefined what words mean so that we can undermine authority. We find every reason in the book not to obey authority. We go out of our way to do things like that, don't we? I mean, it's our culture, it's our society, it's the way we function, the way we operate. We, we have every reason, excuse why you shouldn't have to listen to this one, you shouldn't have to listen to this one, you shouldn't have to listen to this one, this one, this one, this one, or this one, because in this case, that's why you shouldn't listen to him. In this case, this is why you shouldn't listen to her, you shouldn't listen to him, you shouldn't listen to that person. We have all kind of reasons why we don't listen to authority anymore. Hold on. You better make sure it's not God-ordained authority. Because if you do disobey God-ordained authority, you're disobeying God then. Now, listen, that's important stuff to understand. Listen, I don't mind some people being upset with me, but I don't want God upset with me. Okay, you do have to keep that in mind. You say, that's easy for you, because you're a man. You're standing up there talking all about that stuff, and you already brought up women, so that's who you're really targeting tonight. No, I'm not. That's not who I'm really targeting. You know who I'm targeting? Christians. 
Christians are so terrible at taking orders today. Christians don't want to obey anybody unless it suits them. Listen, we're human beings. We are Christians, but we are also flesh. And if we let the flesh rule us, guess what we don't want? Anyone else ruling us. We want to be in charge. And you say, I don't want to be in charge. You do over your own life. And God says he's in charge. And sometimes he puts authority. Young people, God puts authorities in your life, your parents. Yeah, but they're, they're, they're ignorant. They don't know nothing. Uh, they know a lot more than you do. I'm not saying they're perfect, but then again, neither are you. All I'm saying is you better be careful before you go and rebel against your leadership, your God-given authority, because then you're really disobeying God. You're, you're going against God. That, you don't want God against you. Don't do that. But, but teenagers today, have you can come up with a million excuses why you shouldn't listen to a parent, especially if they're, if they're not saved. My parents aren't saved. I've heard that through the years. They're not saved. I shouldn't have to obey them. Why not? They're God-given authority. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't saved. You say, well, he was afterwards. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I know that he recognized that God was the authority at one point. He finally realized uh, where I'm at today is solely because of where God put me. <clears throat> he did run, recognize that. <clears throat> he came to that conclusion in the end. He ultimately said, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. So again, it's very important that we recognize God-given authority because that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar was. You say, that's ridiculous. Well, that's what the, the uh, Israelite thought too. The Israelite originally is being told by Jeremiah, you better just go ahead and submit. And they're like, what are you talking about? They're the enemy. You go ahead and get in. You, matter of fact, when you go to Babylon, you pray for their success. What? The success of the enemy? Yeah, because you're going to be under their authority. And you want them to succeed because in their success, you too will prosper. I'm just saying, again, we need to, you got to keep perspective here. God was in control of all of this. God's the one that allowed Israel to go into captivity. And he raised up Nebuchadnezzar and those armies to come in and literally take them captive. They had disobeyed God. They'd rebelled against God. And God said, enough's enough. Now I have to spank you, if you will. I've got to get your attention. I've got to wake you back up to reality. You need to understand that as long as you go your own direction, you will never go my way. And if you're not going in my way, you will end up in a really, really, really bad place. Even worse than captivity with the Babylonians. And it was bad too, by the way. It was horrible what happened. It was, dis it was unlike anything we can understand today. It's worse than what we're seeing in Europe right now. It was a lot worse. I'm telling you, we can't even wrap our minds around how horrible that would have been. And yet God said, I've raised him up for this purpose. That's a hard pill to swallow. That's a tough pill to swallow. And the Israelites were all over that. They're like, hey, you throw that Jeremiah in prison. Because he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's telling us as a nation we're going to go into captivity and that we ought to just go ahead and admit it and follow through it and just deal with it. We're not dealing with that. No, we're God's people. They're not. We are. And God said, no, you don't understand. I've raised him up. And Nebuchadnezzar never did figure that out on his own. 
And God had to come along and say, by the way, Nebuchadnezzar, let me see here. I'm going to create a prophecy, and I'm going to show that you're the first world power. They're literally the first world power of four that will exist from the time of 606 B.C. all the way till Christ returns to set up and establish his millennial kingdom. And in the meantime, I'm going to put you in a place so that you recognize who put you in your place. And so what did he do? Well, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked. I'm going to pluck your wings. You're not going to fly very high anymore. The nation will, but not you as a leader. You're going down, big boy. But wait a second, I won't be done with you. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man. And a man's heart was given to it. I'm going to restore you. And seven years later... King Nebuchadnezzar was restored. But this time, he at least could acknowledge where his authority came from and who truly was the God of heaven. Wouldn't it be great if our world leaders recognized that today? That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Would be wonderful. And so, that's where we see the first one. That's the first beast that we recognize. The second one is a bear, represents Medo-Persia. Daniel chapter five, 7, verse 5 now. <clears throat> it goes on to say, and beheld another beast. Daniel beholds this other beast now. It's a second one, like a bear. And it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it. Arise, devour much flesh. And you see the beast there, and it's hard to see, but he's got, you know, those, those three things in his mouth there, you see. Can't really see it too good there, but they're in there, those three ribs. And um, a bear, when you think about a bear, they're never really satisfied as really that much. I mean, you've seen Yogi Bear, right? Hey, boo-boo. And he runs around, he's always eating food, always wants more. Never enough, never enough, never once is there enough. They're relatively slow. They're known for their brute force. Well, Medo-Persia, they gained many of their victories by literally overwhelming and overpowering their enemies. They'd send such great forces, large armies into an area, and they'd just overwhelm the enemy. The three ribs in the mouth of that bear represent three nations. It'd be three nations that they actually conquered along the way, Lydia, Babylon, Egypt, nations that went down by the force of the bear. <clears throat> now, when we look at this, and, and it's true about a lot of nations, but I just want to note this. I was looking up some things on Medo-Persia, and, and I, I saw some weaknesses of the P Persian Empire. I just want to share those very quickly with you. Number one, they said it was, there was a lack of unity in the, in the empire, a lack of unity. <clears throat> um, they said that communications in those days obviously was limited. We understand that. And, and it had spread so far out, the kingdom had gotten so large. Remember, these are world powers. These aren't just nations that were strong. They were literally world powers. And they, they had conquered so many nations. They had spread out so far, communications was a little bit difficult. And as a result, there was an element there where communications was stifled somewhat. Also, local leaders were inclined to rebel because they they recognized some weak leadership at the top. 
And so there was a, an element of a problem with unity in the, the, the country or in the nation. Now, the government was in chaos also. Now, it wasn't all the time, but by the time Darius III got in there, the government uh, was, was in chaos by th at that point. There were rebellions. There were assassinations. There were plots and schemes to overthrow officials at the highest positions. There was all kind of things going on. Um, they, they had at that point a, a weak ruler. They had, they, they had um, a second-rate army at this point. Things started to decline. A second-rate army. Um, they weren't as, they were more massive amounts of troops, not so much trained that well. They had their trained troops, don't misunderstand me, but they had specific groups that were trained and the rest were kind of just like run out there and kill people. Uh, it just wasn't quite the army that they needed to sustain the world power that they were. Now, and then they were a great civilization. Uh, when I say great civilization, let me clarify that by saying Aristotle wrote that luxury had weakened the Persians and led to their defeat. That's what I'm talking about. They're, they were, they were, I guess, cultured, but but they they had they their luxury had weakened them. America doesn't know anything about that, right? I'm just saying, when you start to look at some of the, the characteristics and qualities of this nation and the weaknesses that they had that ultimately led to their demise, and I mean, we, we could go into their, obviously, their, their, their weaknesses, sinful, and all of those things. There was all kind of issues there. But we're just talking about the general idea, the general things here. We're seeing here that they just, they imploded as well. I mean, every great nation seems to blow up from the inside out. And so that's what we see here with them. But the bear, Medo-Persia. So we have, we have the, the, the lion, Babylon. The lion with these eagle's wings, swift, strikes quickly, major world power, whose king ultimately finds himself in a very humble position and then is elevated again after seven years. We have Medo-Persia, the bear, course, they had such great uh, victories, of course, and they ruled the world. <laughs> and then we come to the third one. And I don't know how much we can get into this, but let's talk about the leopard. This is going to represent Greece now. We're talking about chapter 7, verse 6. Notice what it says here now. It says, after this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, the beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds a lot like a Disney character. You ever see some of those shows and all these crazy dragons and all the, some of those movies? That's, that's what we're getting to. And boy, let me tell you what, these guys were nothing to mess with. Greece was, a, they, were, they were something else. After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. The leopard is one of the most agile and most graceful creatures. Have you ever seen a leopard? You know how they're just, I mean, they're just, you know, like a cat, you know? You know? Just agile, you know? I mean, I used to move like a cat years ago. <laughs> it's light but it's strong. It's swift, 
and it's fierce. And it moved with great speed as well. As a matter of fact, within 10 years, they had overthrown the forces of Persia and they had subdued the whole civilized world. 10 years. That's amazing. Now, it's interesting to note a man by the name of Alexander the Great, because Alexander the Great was the one who brought all that to pass, so to speak. Obviously, we know God is elevating them. God is putting them in place. But here's Alexander the Great, the actual leader. Hey, interesting facts about Alexander the Great. First of all, he was taught by Aristotle for three years. His father actually hired Aristotle to teach Alexander. And so for three years, he literally was the pupil and student of Aristotle. For 15 years, or should I say in 15 years, Alexander never lost a battle, they say. Now, I have read other places, they say, ah, he lost this one. Okay, maybe he did. I don't know. Guess it depends on who you read, all right? Depends on what history you'd like to believe, I suppose. Seems like we're rewriting history in America all the time. So if we can choose, well, why can't we choose this too? So in 15 years of conquest, I was being facetious, but anyway, in 15 years of conquest, Alexander never lost a battle, they say. He named more than 70 cities after himself. Eh, why not, right? (laughs) And one he named after a horse. He named a city after a horse. That's pretty good. Okay? Alexander the Great would begin ruling, get this, at the age of 20. And he would die before his 33rd birthday. And yet before his death, he literally conquered the world. Isn't that something? A 20-year-old. You know, we got young people today. uh, They're still still trying to figure out what they want to do with life when they're 26 years old. Alexander conquered the world by the time he was 32. I'm just telling you that there is no limit to what God can do with you young men and young ladies if you'll give your life to him early on and quit messing around with the world. Be amazing. Alexander gave his life to the world, and he conquered it. You can conquer the world for Jesus Christ if you'll give your life to him early instead of waiting until you're older. We're going to sow some wild oats. We're going to go live our lives, do our own thing a while. I want to have a family. I want to have a wife. I want to enjoy those kind of things. Why don't you worry about pleasing the Lord first and then let the rest of that fall into place? Man, I'll tell you what, it would be amazing what God will use you to do. be amazing. We need some young men and young ladies that will say, I'm going to give it up early on and just serve Jesus and let God worry about my future. Man, this guy reminds me a little bit of, uh, what was the uh, missionary to the Indians, the American Indians? David Brainerd. David Brainer wasn't much older than that, wasn't he? About 32, 33 also, I think. He gave his life and made such an impact. We still read about David Brainer today. It's amazing. Oh, he lived to 29. I think he was 29 years old when he died. And yet we read about David Brainer to this day. Man, amazing, really. But anyway. Okay, so though four heads, and we're almost done, the four heads that were on this, 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 this leper, They represent four different kingdoms that the empire would ultimately be divided into. There are four generals that that, uh, Alexander had. When Alexander passed off the scene, over the course of some years, these generals began to take and assume power. And before it was over with, there were four distinct areas that they governed, if you will. 
Egypt, Syria, Thrace, and Macedonia. And so these four areas were, were divisions of this Grecian empire. And so that's where we see the four heads. It's interesting how God brings all that together. He uses a visual, and he says, okay, now let me go ahead and describe what this nation will be like. And uh, from B.C. 323 to B.C. 30 then, there was no worldwide kingdom. So we have this, this break again. Remember I told you about that? We come to the end of, the, of this Grecian empire, so to speak, and there's a break that takes place, and then all of a sudden we're going to see that Rome begins to rule in 30 B.C. Now, only four world kingdoms, if you will, worldwide, only four, from 606 B.C., the Babylonian captivity, all the way till Jesus Christ returns and establishes his millennial kingdom, the stone kingdom, four. And we've discussed three of them already. And we're going to see that David, or David, Daniel is going to address this final one. And we don't have time to address it because it gets much more involved. And we'll take time to look at it next week. And it's extremely interesting as we look at that because we're going to learn about a little horn that actually comes up on the head of this beast. And we're going to talk a little bit about him next week as well. But um, what an amazing thing. Now, let me just say this. One of the things, well, I don't want to get into it. We'll talk about it next week. So anyway, we have these uh, three beasts, if you will. We have, let's go back here and we can, let me just, there we go. Oh, I just lost it, didn't I? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, don't worry about it. We have, first of all, we have the lion with the eagle's wings, Babylon. We've got the bear with the three ribs, Medo-Persia. And then we've got the leper with the wings and the four heads, Greece. And so we've discussed and talked about and have been revealed some things about these four world powers. And when you combine them with that metallic man or the Colossus, and then you look at them as beasts, we're going to see some interesting things as we move forward. But nonetheless, we're getting a little more insight into these great world leaders and how God and, 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 and how he uses the Gentiles, the times of the Gentiles, and how it will play out through history. So it's been pretty interesting and it will continue to be interesting. And the Bible is just a great book. And remember, God is always always has a plan, always has a purpose, and sometimes we don't get it, and it's difficult sometimes to follow him because we don't always see where he's going. It's not easy sometimes, but we have to trust him because he does have a game plan, and he knows what he's doing and why he's doing it. We just have to believe that he does, and that's where faith comes in. Let's exercise faith with the Lord, whether it's with an authority in our own life, whether it's with uh, authorities in general. Maybe it's just with the Word of God and our futures. Either way, we need to just depend on the Lord Jesus Christ and truly trust Him. He knows what He's doing and He has our best interest at heart. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. And Lord, we thank you for just the simplicity of the Word. It seems a little complicated, but Lord, as we begin to look at it, we begin to break it down. There's words that are, are in both situations and both accounts and we start to put those words together and it connects the dots and 
We thank you, Lord, for how you've revealed things to us. Even this, the times of the Gentiles has become more clear to us as we've read through the book of Daniel. Lord, help us, Father, to understand that you're in charge still. Even though it is the times of the Gentiles, you're still on the throne in heaven. And that, Lord, you're still orchestrating and, and, and performing things uh, that are going to fulfill your purpose and your plan for the ages. Lord, help us to trust you and lean on you and not our own understanding. We'll thank you and praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.